All right, good morning or good evening, everybody. You know, I practice that all the way to church. That's what I'm going to say. It's evening, it's evening, it's evening, and I still mess it up. If you want to turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy, we're going to finish that up tonight, chapters 3 and 4. Um, just so you know, Friday night, Sparrow Song will be here doing a worship night. They're going to record an album, but they need singers and everybody to be in the audience like a live crowd. So you're all welcome to join us. I think it'll start at 7. Uh, so if you could be here like 6.30, 6.45 and get kind of seated and ready and, and uh, um, enjoy a, a night of worship with them. They're uh, a worship team mostly from Laura Street, um, and they wanted us to, re- we have the recording gear, they don't have recording gear, so um, JC's been reaching out to all the worship leaders all the, and, and stuff, so it's got a really good relationship going with these guys, and said, well, we'd love to help you any way we can, because we borrow gear from them, and they borrow gear from us, and um, for us to bring all of our gear over there was more of a deal than for just having them come on over to where it's already all set up and everything, so they're going to come out and um, it'll be a nice night. So some of the Laura Street folks will be here and hopefully more churches will be here other than just ours and everything. So join us if you can be here. And then also Sunday night uh, up at uh, Cowboy Church up in Clorinda. Um, I can give you the details on that. I don't have the exact address, um, but it's up there uh, at the, at, not where they normally have it, I don't think, because High Road is going to be there. They're going to be doing uh, worship up there for Cowboy Church. So if you've never been to Cowboy Church, you're missing out. You got to go to Cowboy Church once in your life. Now, it's more fun when it's in the arena, right? It's not in the arena this time, is it, or is it? What's that? Does anybody know? Wimble Hall, Hall, which isn't where they normally have it. Oh, it is. Okay, so it's still in the fairgrounds up there. Okay. Join them. It'll be fun. We're going to go up, um, and that's at 7 also. Uh, Now, if you go early, they're cooking steaks up for the Cattlemen Association's doing the dinner there, too, and I'm sure it's five, ten bucks or something for the meal, I'm sure, something like that. Um, so if you want to go up early and have a meal, they're going to have that there for you also. So that'll be this Sunday. So yeah, we got a great worship weekend uh, coming up. So um, take advantage of it. Those special times don't happen very often. All right, Second Timothy. Uh, oh, who had my cake? The tort. And who, who liked it and who didn't like it? Now that you know it's mine, I shouldn't have said that. It wasn't great though, was it? I mean, it wasn't great. It took me, well, then you don't count. Who liked lemons? Did you like it? You'd eat anything though. Okay. Home ec teacher. Tell me what was good or bad. Okay. But that was the only part of the cake you liked. Honestly, it took like four hours for me to make this cake total in the kitchen, three hours today or yesterday, and then like an hour this morning making the frosting, boiling frosting. Who boils frosting and cooks the frosting? What a ridiculous waste of time. And it was no better than a box cake by the time I'm done. So uh, lesson learned there. Just get Betty Crocker and be done with it. There was no love in that cake at all. Zero love. It was, frust- it was my test cake for the cakewalk because I want to win uh, the, the cakewalk. Uh, anyway, all right. Chapter 3. Now that I've got you all set up, let's get serious. And... Paul's writing his last letter. It's been a while since we've been in this. And uh, important to remember where, where he is in his mind and in his heart. He is not going to make it as far as he's concerned. Pretty sure this is the end of it for him. He's waiting for Nero's judgment. Um, And so he's writing to his dear son in the faith, Timothy, giving him some final words of encouragement. It's a lot different than 1 Timothy. Now, if if you don't know Paul very well and you haven't read very often, you wouldn't get that sense. But as you read it, it is far more personal. This letter is far more heartfelt, like an emotional letter as opposed to just a doctrinal thesis, you know. Um, this is what, this is what you do. This is how you do it, you know, kind of thing. And this is much more heart because he knows when he goes, how he knows how much he's had to battle in the ministry, just being a minister, just staying true to the faith, staying true to the doctrine, staying true to Jesus, you know, flat out, just walking with Christ. I mean, this guy was beat everywhere he went. Anytime he preached the word, he'd get beat practically. Uh, not every time, but for, most, for the most part, 
He, I mean, he had a personal physician, Luke, which we're going to hear about tonight, with him because of that. Um, he knows that when he leaves, savage wolves are going to come in, not only from the outside of the church, but from within the church. In other words, Paul knows that there are people sitting there around just waiting for him to die so that, because they know he is the only shepherd that's keeping them at bay right now. And they're just waiting for him to pass away so that he can, they can rise up um, unhindered, you know. He was a hindrance. He's a hindrance to darkness. He was a hindrance to evil. He's a hindrance to Satan. And so this letter is heartfelt to his son Timothy in the faith saying, you know, you're going to have to pick up this mantle. And that's the word we use in the Bible or in Christianese saying, you're going to have to take over my job description. You're going to have to wear my hat basically when I go. We don't say pick up the mantle anymore. That's, it's a prophet's term. But today we say, you know, I'm going to move on. I'm going to leave and you're going to have to carry on the tradition. You're going to have to carry on the truth. And he wants to make sure Timothy's prepared. Not only to say the truth, but be prepared for the fight. It's a battle. It's going to be a fight. So chapter 3, verse 1. He says this to Timothy, but know this. Know this. Don't, we might, this might happen. No. Know this for certain. That in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. They'll be slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. And there's an exclamation point there. I mean, if he could yell it, he'd yell it. It's an emphatic statement. These things are going to happen. Now, the, the, the interesting thing is as someone in 2018, we read this and we're like, yep. And we look around and we can see all this. He's writing to Timothy's, Timothy. It's not just going to be latter times like 2,000 years from now. I hope somebody reads my letter that I write to you. Timothy, you're going to run into these people. This isn't anything new. We see it increasing, I think, in our day and age. I mean, we can probably, people probably popped into your mind, eh, there's a boaster and there's a whoever, and, and maybe even you fit into some of these things. Like, I kind of lean towards that stuff. So it's a little convicting reading that list. But this is nothing new. This is something that go, has been going on. Timothy, you're going to run into these people. And the reason it's concerning is that, that verse 5 the people he just described, that long list that he took the time to name every single thing, he didn't just say there's going to be really difficult times ahead of you. That's how I would word it. Boy, look out for people. They're just going to be interesting in the last days. He specifically names off all these things, and then he says this about them. They're going to have a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people turn away. This is the folks from within. Maybe from without. Maybe men or women of God that come in and try to overthrow what you're doing, Timothy. But for the most part, these are going to be people that are going to be in your group. Watch out for them and turn away from such. There's going to be guys that go from church to church, like he had to write to the Corinthian church. You know, you pay these guys to come into your church to teach. And I gave you everything you needed, you needed. but you pay them to come in because and, and they start charging you extra money. And I never charged you money, Paul says. Um, those are the other kind of folks. They're going to be traveling around and trying to get you to buy their newest, nowadays, buy their newest book. Watch their latest DVD. Look at their latest YouTube post. You know, this is the truth. This is it. Watch out. And these are their characteristics. These are characteristics you have to watch out for. Slanderers. Without self-control, they're going to be brutal. There's no pity in them. There's no grace. There's no hope of repentance. You remember how many times he's told them, hey, when you rebuke an older man or when you rebuke somebody, make sure you do it in a way of love because you don't know if they might repent. That's always the heart of a correction or should be the heart of a correction. You know, these guys won't have that. They're going to be brutal. 
they're going to they're not only going to tell you you're wrong, but they're going to wipe you out so you never get back up again. That kind of mentality. It's a worldly mentality. All of this stuff is a worldly mentality. Brutal to one another. And you, we can go through the list if you want to, but it all starts off with, the, in verse 2, they're going to be lovers of themselves. Everything else stems from that. It's lovers of themselves. They're the most important person in the room. They are the, uh, they're above. I mean, that's where the pride comes from. The pride isn't, I'm proud of my A plus in English. Not that kind of pride. Nothing really wrong with that. Good job on your, on your excelling. You know, you should always strive for excellence. No, this is the kind of pride that I, I'm, I am above. And I'm glad I am above the rest. You know, um, I'm above you. I'm above them. Um, I'm above. And um, it's a world, that's a worldly trait to have that mentality. And so watch out for these guys. Uh, I want you to turn away from such people. Don't run from them. Don't, somebody's getting at it. He's saying, I don't want you corrupted by them. Don't join them. Don't fall into their bad habits. Because he's going to name some guys that have here in a minute. Timothy, I'm telling you about these things, not because there's really anything you can do about it. There just will be in the last times, know this, these kind of people, be sure you turn away from such. And so what's our lesson tonight? What's God telling me? This is not the kind of people you keep company with. And be careful about that. It's not the kind of people that you don't minister to. Of course you minister to them, but you don't keep company with them. You don't let them affect you or, or, or sway you or turn you into this. Um, it does. It's corrupting. It can be. If you are around these people, make sure you have that ministry mindset. I am here to minister to them, which means serve. But you're serving God by serving them. So in other words, you're trying to get them out of that. You're trying to help them. You know, don't join is what he's getting at. Turn away from such. Four, verse six, of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, Janus and Jambres resisted Moses. So do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifested to all, as theirs also was. In other words, there's hope there. But the hope is they're going to progress no further and that they will be exposed for who they are. It's obvious to everybody. They're not going to get away with it, although it seems like they are at the time. It's not going to, their folly will be, will be manifested just like Janus and Jambres. Now, who's Janus and Jambres? Those are the guys that turned their rods into snakes. Remember, Moses came in with his rod, cast it down, and they said, we can do that too. Janus and Jambres, that's who those two guys are. We can do that. Interesting analogy. I don't think there's any... Uh, accident that he uses those names. There's a reason he picks Janice and Jamries. You have the guy, Moses, on the scene who's been chosen by God, a reluctant servant of the Lord. We all know that. I don't want to go. Have Aaron come. You know the whole story. How are they going to believe me? Well, I'll make your stick turn into a snake. You can pick it back up again. I'll give you all the things. Look at this. Remember that? The whole uh, leprosy, no leprosy thing that he got to do? Turn his hand in his coat, no leprosy, back I'll give you all the tricks, all the, all the things that prove that I am with you. So go, and so he goes, and so he is the man on the scene that's been chosen by God to represent God on the, but not a perfect guy. We all know that, but the one God chose. Now, these guys came along and said, oh, I see what you can do, and I see that you can do these tricks, but we can do these tricks also. And they did. I mean, honestly, the, it, they did. I don't know what happened. I don't know if they had a, you know, fake snake. That's how I think of it as a magic trick that these guys have. Yeah, look at it. And if I pull hard enough, the, the rod goes and I can make it stiff again. You know, like the flower out of the, out of the magic wand, those guys, you know, like a magic trick. Or were they under the demonic influence and were able to literally turn a snake, in, or turn a snake into a rod and a rod into a snake? That seems to be the case. It seems to be that these guys, Egypt had such a strong uh, darkness about it, um, they were able to actually do this, imitate. So what's interesting about this, and not to get too stuck on this, is that 
Aaron asked for proof that he was with God, but the proof doesn't really prove. The, the tricks, the, the miracles didn't really prove that what Moses was saying was true. What, what proved Moses was saying was true was that it came to pass. He just said what God told him to say, and then it happened. That's our ministry. As Christians, that's what we do. We tell people, this is what God says, and if you believe on him, this is what happens. And then it comes to pass when they do that. Healings are great. Signs and wonders are wonderful, but they can be imitated. And we know that from the book of Revelation. We know that Satan can do the exact same things. In fact, in the last days, that's how the delusion takes place. Is these guys governed by Satan, ruled by Satan, under the influence of demonic forces are going to be able to do the exact same things. Five loaves and two fish, okay. It's not going to be a big deal for these guys to do that. That is not the proof that these men or women are from God or aren't from God. The proof is what they say happens and it's true. And it's not followed up with lovers of themselves, uh, lovers of money, boasters, proud, so on. Paul says to Timothy, watch out. These guys are going to creep in and take gullible people, gullible women, he says specifically. People that are such a, I hate that. I hate being gullible. I remember being, I'm still gullible in some areas. You all, all of us are in some ways. We get, we get taken in by it. Oh, you were kidding. Oh boy. You know, why don't I feel stupid? Gullible. I remember those embarrassing moments in grade school or when I was a kid and an uncle, a funny uncle, we all have that funny uncle that likes to trick little kids into doing dumb stuff. And I had that funny uncle and I got tricked into doing dumb stuff and everybody would laugh and, oh yeah, I'm a dumb kid, get it, I'm gullible. Hated that. But why was I gullible? Because I'd never experienced the truth before. I never experienced what was real. This is the first time I've heard this. Um, it made sense to me. Um, I trusted the person that was telling me this stuff. And so, honestly, as a little kid, love believes all things. And why would this person trick me? You know, I trust them. Certainly they wouldn't do that to me. And they did. That's why Paul's upset with these guys. They're going to find out the innocent. They're going to find out the gullible people, the people that haven't experienced, the people that they, that'll trust them. Watch out for that stuff. How do I know who I can trust? Because they won't be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient. They won't be those things. They'll be gentle. They'll be long-suffering. They'll be patient. They'll be kind. They'll be looking out for you. They'll be humble. You can always trust a humble person. You just can. Something about that. I was telling Seth, Seth's back for a week. We're shooting a commercial for um, real estate, and, and uh, i got to pay him to come home now. That's how I get him to visit. Just kidding. He'd come back if I would pay for the plane ticket anyway. Um, but he's back for a while, and he was, he's excited. They're expecting here December 15th, I believe, is the due date, and that's exciting for the baby to come. And I said, you'll, and we were just talking about that, I think it was today or yesterday, you're never going to experience love. You, you have no idea. I mean, you love your wife, and she loves you, and that's the most amazing love that you know of now until you have a kid. And then you have a kid. And that kid... In, your, in their eyes, you can do no wrong, even when you are wrong, even when you blow it as a dad and you blow it as a mom and they look at them and they, they should hold a grudge. They should be bitter. They have every right, but they're not. They just want it over and they want to hug and they want to get back right into that relationship with you like they had before. That's the most, that's the closest you'll ever have to the love of God is what a kid has for a parent, that humble, beautiful love, even when you did it wrong. You know, even as a parent, that's what he hates. As a shepherd, Timothy, be a shepherd. Watch out for the Janus and the Jambres who are looking for the gullible, who are going to trust them. That's why you do it. It's not so that Timothy can be right. It's not so Timothy can be on top. Timothy's the most important. No, you are rough on Janus and Jambres because they're out to kill your sheep. They're out to Get those gullible sheep. And that's why you do what you do, Timothy. And that's why a shepherd does what he does. Sure, I'd love a wolf to repent and become a sheep. But there's still a wolf, and I don't let him eat sheep until they repent. You whack them. <laughs> thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Timothy, make sure you have both in hand. He's encouraging him. Watch out for this. 
Janus and Jamres, they resisted Moses. They came against Moses. Moses did, never wanted the job. But they resisted him. That's interesting. It says in Romans 13 too, those that resist um, the authorities over them resist God. That's who you're resisting against. You don't think of it that way. You think I'm putting up the resistance, but how did that person get an authority? Didn't God pick them? Should you resist? Be careful of that. Hebrews 13, uh, verses 7 and 17, both talk about those. Watch out for those who will rule over you. They're, they're doing it for your own good. And it's to your advantage that you let them. And, you know, if God put them over you. In other words, Moses was brought to bring deliverance. And those that accepted God's call on his life got delivered. Janice and Jambres resisted. And they could do their own thing. I can make snakes, sticks. I can make snakes. We can do that. And then again, we don't want to leave off without the good news. They will progress no further. And that's what happens. When you resist the authority of God in your life, you progress no further. And I believe that's also spiritually speaking too. You stop growing. You're stuck. You're in the mud. You're spinning your wheels. You're upset about something. It just, you can't get over it. Something is stuck in your craw. I think we use that word around here. It's, it's stuck there. I just can't get rid of it. You're resisting. And anytime, and that happens to everybody, I think. Anytime you're walking with the Lord, anybody that's ever had a walk with the Lord and you're having one right now, there, you get to those points where he straightens this part out in your life, he takes care of that part of your life, and he shows you this needs to change. But then there's that one thing that kind of gets you stuck. That's not that bad. I want to get rid of that in your life. And you kind of resist. Yeah, I know, I really should, but whatever the argument is. And you get stuck. And you progress no further. God has a plan and it is going to be one, two, three, four, and five. And if you're stuck on four, we're not going to skip it and go to five. We're going to stay on four until four is beaten down because five depends on four being beaten. It depends upon it. That's one of the problems we have with, with some of our school system and some of the older public school curriculums is we just push kids through. Keep up. If you can't keep up, we push them on to the next grade. And the basics, the foundations weren't laid. It wasn't necessarily the teacher's fault. I mean, I don't want to blame anybody on that. It's just the way it was and is in some cases. They get pushed through and it's just an example. But without knowing, adding, subtracting, multiplication, division, whatever you get stuck on and you push through. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you've had that experience I don't even know what the teacher's talking about. I don't even, I, never, I don't know. I, I've never learned multiplication. So how in the world am I going to learn algebra one? How can I do geometry? How can I do this? I don't have that basics. It's the same with walk with Christ. You've got to do the things God tells you to do. And, and when we resist in an area, he's a good teacher. He said, he'll hold you back a grade. And you'll wonder, how come I can't move on, you know? Why can't I get past? Why can't I do to the next thing? I just feel like I'm stuck. I feel dry, maybe is the word we use for it. Or I feel just discontented in general. And you look for other reasons. Maybe it's them. Maybe it's him. Maybe it's the version I'm using, you know? Maybe I need a book. Maybe I need a pick-me-up. Maybe I need a, a conference. Maybe I need whatever it is, but it ain't me. I'm just stuck. A lot of times it's just us resisting. What was the last thing God told you you wanted to work on? If you're stuck, that's a good question. That's what I always say. How come I just feel off today? Because in my quiet time, I resisted something he was speaking to me. I don't like that. I like to study and tell you guys what God says. I don't like studying and finding out what he wants to tell me a lot of times. It's hard. Sometimes he does it when I'm up here. If I don't listen to him during my study time, and you've seen that happen here. If I don't listen to him while I'm studying and pause and stop and work it out in my own life before I give it out, I'll say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone really needs to hear that. And I move right on and it's not me, you know. He'll do it to me right here on the spot. He'll just convict me and he'll drop me and I'll just sit there going. And you wonder, can he not find his place? Can he not read? What is wrong with this guy? No, I'm being convicted. You may not progress. We're going to work this out now. If it's not in the car where you're studying, that's my office. It's going to be up here in front of everybody else. You choose. I choose the car. I choose the office. 
Don't resist. Verse 10, but you, Timothy, not talking about you, he says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine. And I'd like to I'd like to add to God's word here if I can, because this is all the same. You have carefully followed my doctrine. You have carefully followed my manner of life. You have carefully followed my purpose. You have carefully followed faith. You have carefully followed my long suffering, my love, my perseverance, my persecutions, my afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Timothy, you've been following me. And it's been a good thing. Nothing bad to say. Paul doesn't say you're as awesome as I am. That's not what he's getting at. You've understood that the ministry is in, in the ministry, in that calling, what's included in that is to stay true to doctrine. Watch your doctrine, Timothy, and you have. Watch what kind of life you live. It's important, and you have. You know what your purpose is. It's not for you. It's for them, and it's for God. You have done that, Timothy. You have faith. You're trusting in God. You're not going by sight. You're not going by numbers. You're going by faith. Good job. Long-suffering, you know that the ministry included in that calling is long-suffering, and so on. You know that you have love and need to have love, and if you can't do this with love, then you ought not do it at all. Perseverance, you know it's going to take persevering. Persecutions are going to come. Afflictions will happen just like they did with me. But God delivered me out of all of them and he'll deliver you out of all of them too, Timothy. That's the biggest thing for me. I'd love, I just want to get that across. Um, nobody has a better walk than you with Jesus Christ. Nobody has a closer walk than you with Jesus Christ. It may appear that way to you, but... Paul has no better walk with Jesus than I do or that you do. It's the same Holy Spirit that teaches him. It's the same Holy Spirit that teaches you. It's the same book that we're reading that he read. It's the same thing I'm teaching today. It's the same thing he taught back then. There's nothing new. Well, that's Paul or, well, you know, that's Peter. And you can't expect to walk with the big boys, you know. You absolutely can expect to walk with the big boys and girls. Deborah. What a great woman of God. You know, I don't want to leave the ladies out here. I mean, there is an excellent Mary. What an excellent example. You are worshiping the same God they worship. You have the same Savior they have. You have the same Holy Spirit. You have the same truth, God's word. It's all yours. It's all ours. And so if Paul was going to have that, if, if, if you're going to have, if Paul is walking with the Lord and he's going to have persecution, make no mistake about it, Timothy, you're going to have it too. So don't be surprised by it when persecution comes. Verse 13, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. It is a cycle. It's a circle. They feed off of each other. You get deceived and then you go out and you deceive with what you learned. Isn't that normal? Well, I heard this one guy, I had a conversation with the brother and sister, just the brother, but the sister was involved. She was on the other she was in the room with the phone, and it was on speaker. And they were talking about, um, well, this pastor that we're listening to says this, this, and this, and this. And, and so we do this, 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 this. And they kept describing it, and I was just waiting for him to take a breath. And they got done, and I said, but he's a false teacher. What? I know he's got a million people coming to his church. I know he's on the radio. I know he's on television. I know he's got a big smile, and he's got funny-looking hair, but I know... He's a false teacher, and here's why. Insert Jesus into everything you just said he told you to do. He told you to remove every negative person out of your life so that you can excel. Is that what Jesus did? Well, no, he didn't. There you go. In fact, Jesus looked for them. He ministered to them. He wasn't looking for everybody to get rid of everybody that was bringing him down. He was there to get everybody out and lift them up. He looked for that. He knew what his purpose was. His purpose was to help people up and out. If you're negative, if you're bitter, if you're suicidal, if you're depressed, I'm here. I'm here to bring you up. You don't get rid of those people. That's self-serving. That's blasphemy. And that's all they needed to hear because they heard that from a pastor being deceived that was their gospel. And they would go tell everybody else to follow after this guy and listen to his teachings and all that. And so then they got, so they were deceivers now. 
Didn't mean to be. They got deceived. They were deceivers. And then it was just a perpetual cycle. Being deceived and deceiving. Being deceived and deceiving. So watch out for that. They're going to grow worse. They're imposters. They're wolf in sheep's clothing. But you, Timothy, must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. And that from childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You know the Scriptures and you know who you learned them from. And he's talking about himself. I mean, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, but he's talking about himself. You know me. And you know that. And that's what's going to help you continue in all these things. I know who I learned the Bible from. I, I know who I learned the Bible from as a pastor. I know that. And he finished his race well, and he died. Now, he was just a man, and he was just used by the Holy Spirit, and I know that, but I know who I learned the Scriptures from, and I will never vary. I've had Calvary Chapel pastors challenge me on what I teach, heard it on the radio, and said, I can't believe you taught that. But I gave him the tape number, because it's tapes. That's the tapes I listen to, Pastor Chuck's tapes. I give him the tape number and the, and the time stamp. Look it up. You should know this stuff. This isn't heresy. You are wrong. And so I show them. Oh, he taught that. He absolutely did. Somewhere along the line, they got picked up and thinking, he, no, that's not what he said. No, it's exactly how he taught. And look why he said it. And you go to the scriptures and you show them. Here's where he comes up with that. Oh, I never put those three scriptures together like he did. Exactly. It's truth. I know who I learned it from. And I hold on to that. And that's what keeps me true. And so whenever I find someone, and this is for you guys too, when you listen to anybody, it doesn't matter, it doesn't have to be me, but you find someone that's been preaching the truth to you and you know it and it resonates and it lines up with scripture. You've been Bereans, you looked in God's word, you say, yep, that lines up, that's right. Then you could be assured of that too. It's true. And it keeps you from varying. It keeps you from straying from the road and getting off into where these guys get off on. They're not sure. They don't know who they learned it from. Verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And please note what scripture means. Written word. The written word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That's teaching. For reproof. For correction. For instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Memorize that, I guess, if you have to. 16, something, there isn't one, not some scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Of Yes, it was written by men, but it was written by men under the inspiration of God. And so it's all good. And it's all useful and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And it doesn't change. God's word doesn't change because the author doesn't change. God doesn't change and so his word doesn't change. His opinions don't change. They're facts. And so hold on to God's written word. Always hold on to it. Don't let anybody tell you, well, that was for yesterday. That was, I've met some really well-meaning and good folks in the church that love God and love Jesus, and that's without a doubt, but they reject certain portions of Scripture. The most recent one is the worship leader, the son at Hillsong. Loves God, loves Jesus, a phenomenal worship leader, wonderful writer of songs, beautiful, no doubt about that, but does not believe in the six days, the seven days of creation. Just, no, it's evolution, absolutely, and just goes on and on to describe it. He doesn't know that, maybe, that he's denying God. He's denying his word. You've got to be careful about that. It's a slippery slope. If that's wrong, if that's not true, and Jesus the Messiah, your Messiah, says that the seven days of creation is absolutely true. You're into the scripture now that says that you're calling God a liar. Well-meaning. So Timothy, make sure that you know this in your heart and make sure that you teach this. And so therefore, 2,000 years later, I'm teaching the same thing Paul taught Timothy. Guys, please know this. God's word is absolutely true and 100% inerrant and perfect. And you can rest on it and rely on it and trust it for the next 10,000 years, if God should tarry. If Jesus doesn't come back sooner than that, and he will. But if he doesn't, it's going to be stable. It's not faulty. I love that. The written word, it's the living word. It's his word. It never changes. Now, chapter four in 10 minutes. Ready? I charge you, therefore, before God, 
Now that you know all this, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, exclamation point, emphatic, preach the word, preach the written word, tell people the word, teach people the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Ready for what? Ready to preach the word. That's for all of us, not just Timothy. Be ready at Walmart. Be ready at Hy-Vee. Be ready for those moments and they surprise you. And God does that on purpose, I think, sometimes. He'll make those divine appointments with people that you weren't ready for. You were thinking one thing and all of a sudden they came up and you're like, oh, they're talking about Jesus. I was thinking about Doritos. You know, I mean, you're just, you're not even there and you've got to pray. Oh, God, help. I don't know what I'm going to say. Oh, I'm so glad I had my quiet time this morning. I'm just going to give him that. And you give it to him. Interesting thing. I'll, Sherry Hunter. Um, I, was, I was getting ready to do a post on our website, on our Facebook page. And I was thinking, oh, you know, and I, and I was in, it was uh, uh, October 16th, right? And so I'm in Proverbs 16. And if you didn't know that, there's 31 Proverbs and usually 31 days in the month. And so you just Read that proverb for the day. So if you're having a hard time with your quiet time, you're not sure what you'd do on October 1st, read Proverbs 1 and so on. You go through it. So I'm reading 16. I'm like, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to post something about 16. And there it was before I got on there. Sherry Hunter. Uh, you don't know her. She used to worship leader down here. Now she goes up to Clorinda Calvary Chapel up there and, and uh, she, she posted something from Proverbs 16. And what's funny is she doesn't know it, but I, I know why she posted Proverbs 16 because she reads through the Proverbs just like she's supposed to, you know, right there where she needs to be. I, I say that is because if you're having a hard time with your quiet time or not sure about it, just read that proverb chapter for the day. And it's all wisdom. It's, it's meant for that. It's just wisdom. And that's what people will ask you throughout the day. I need wisdom on this. Good thing I read something about wisdom today. And just give them out of something out of that day. And it'll be there for you. God will bring it to your remembrance and use it. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince. I have a hard time convincing because a lot of times this is terrible to say and you should probably edit this. I don't, I care. But when I come against somebody that's so resistant and they hate God and it's all like that, you know, I just want to look at them and say, you know, I'm going to heaven and you're not and I'm okay. You're the one that's in trouble. If you don't want what I have to offer you, fine. That's not very convincing, I don't think. But sometimes that's my heart. It's like, I got people over here that want to hear about Jesus and what he's done for them. And you don't care. You're content with your eternity. All right. So this is convicting for me. Timothy, take the time. I'm going to add that. Convince and rebuke and exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Teaching takes a long time. I struggle with that sometimes, to be honest with you, as a pastor. I don't know how long I've been teaching for 15, 16 years now in Maryville. And I teach off and on about racism. I talk about race and how Christ sees people all the same. I was just talking about Seth, talking this to Seth on the way back from the McKinney's. We were doing some photo shoot out there. And I was coming back, and it had nothing to do with the McKinney's. She's like, what did you say? What did we say? Nothing. It was just a conversation we're having. And I said, that's one of the toughest things is some of the bigotry that I run into still. Still, it's 2018. Guys, we do know that black people are equal, right? And we do know that Asian people are equal, right? I mean, we know that. As Christians, we understand that God sees everybody the same. But after 16 years of preaching, I still hear it here sometimes. Not, not flat out bigotry, but just terms we use. Guys, and so I'm going to throw this out here because it's one of those things that I have to long-sufferingly teach for 16 years, but we don't say this anymore. We don't say that I'm going to Jew them down in price. You do know that that's wrong. Don't say that. That's very derogatory. Uh, and so on. So I know what he's talking about. Timothy, sometimes it's going to take a long time for people to pick up on this stuff. Long-suffering in your teaching. And for the, for the time will come, so take, make sure you stay where you're supposed to stay, teach what you're supposed to teach, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They don't even want to hear the sound truth anymore. They want to hear the other stuff. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. 
They won't accept the teacher that God's given them. They'll look for other teachers instead that are going to handle the things they think they need to hear. That's the key. Every time I come to God's word, I am prepared to receive and need to be prepared to receive everything he has for me. And when you read something, we come sometimes to God's word with an agenda. I've got this problem. I'm coming to God's word. You're going to take care of my problem in your word. Here I am doing what I'm supposed to do, opening up the textbook to teach me how I'm supposed to handle this problem. And then he talks about something completely different. This isn't my problem. My problem is this. This isn't what I need. And actually, that's exactly what you needed today because it's a step-by-step process to get to your problem. Come to God's word, ready to receive whatever he has, and then take it. It's like, this, had, this is not what I expected. Take it. It's exactly what your teacher in heaven has to prescribe for you that day. Take it. But there's going to come a time when they won't anymore. They're going to look for people that will tell them what they want to hear, dealing with my specific problem. They will heap up for themselves teachers, heaping, heaping teachers, you know. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. They'd rather hear a story, an anecdote, than the truth. But you, Timothy, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill it. Don't leave it unfulfilled, obviously, is what he's saying. Don't quit. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. And this is where we get Paul's heart. This is the last you're going to hear from me, Timothy. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but to all, but also to all who have loved his appearing. All of us. You know, it gets a little uncomfortable thinking about God giving me a crown. We're, we're told to shun that kind of stuff. And I don't want a crown. You wear a crown, all that. It's his pleasure to give you a crown of righteousness. Well done, good and faithful servant. Why? Because you loved his appearing. That tells me something about the folks we read in the beginning of chapter 3. Those folks aren't hoping for his appearing. They're not looking forward to the rule and reign of Christ but strong, pure, loving, humble believers are and can't wait for King Jesus to show up and rule and reign. Verse nine, be diligent to come to me quickly for Demas has forsaken me. That's one of his guys. Having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica, he was tired of waiting for Paul in prison, done ministering outside these jail bars. I'm gonna go on with my life. Cresians of Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia, they've all left. Only Luke is with me. That's Dr. Luke, by the way, the writer of Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Get Mark, John Mark, little John Mark, little baby John Mark, little mama's boy John Mark. Why do I say that? Because he's the guy that caused the division between Barnabas and Paul. Paul, Paul and Barnabas went on this great missionary trip, brought Mark along, Barnabas' little cousin, and uh, said, come on, you can come with me. Uh, and he got scared and wanted to go home halfway through the trip. Paul says, fine, go home. Second trip, Barnabas says, let's try Mark again. Let's bring him along. Paul's like, absolutely not. We're not bringing any mama's boy with us. He's going to stay home now. Such a sharp division that Barnabas didn't go either. They, they divided over the, de- the deal. And the reason I bring that up is because now Paul says, now bring him. He's useful for me in the ministry, he says. There in verse uh, 11. How, how did he become useful? Because Barnabas took him under his wing and helped him along. So who's wrong? Paul or Barnabas? I don't think either. Because the Bible follows Paul after that. doesn't follow Barnabas. Barnabas, you go do what you got to do. But Paul, I'm following you. The Bible follows Paul. So we know that God chose to follow Paul in his ministry. So what happened here? Honestly, Paul was on a serious mission. This is no training exercise. I don't have time for this. I need seasoned veteran guys that can hang. And you can understand that. Suppose SEAL Team 6 wants to go in and they're going to go right into the middle of Iran and they're going to take out a nuclear site or something like that. The last thing you need is Private Joe Schmo, you know, from the middle of who knows where, who doesn't know which end to point at the guy. But he's going to be trained up. Hey, this ain't the time to train him up. 
You go train him. And when he's ready to play with the big boys, bring him on board. That's all that happened with John Mark. John Mark is now seasoned. He's trained. But he was not equipped for that second missionary trip. He wouldn't have made it. And Paul knew that. So Barnabas trained him up. But now, in Paul's hour of need, hey, bring John Mark to me. Bring Mark to me. He'll be useful for me in the ministry now. You know? So don't get upset if you don't get to be picked to go and to do the big thing or whatever it is. Some training. That's all it is. Be thankful that your commanding officer, Jesus, didn't think you were ready and didn't put you where you, need, where you thought you should be. You're not ready for it yet. When you're ready, he'll put you there. And Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. So he's a good guy. I sent him on a mission. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come. And the books, especially the parchments. Please bring God's word. But bring my coat. The old guy, crippled up, arthritic, you know. I need my coat. <laughs> I like that. It's so real. It's so genuine. And look what he, and you'll see that at the very end here. He'll bring up the coat again. Bring my coat. Don't forget my coat. It's cold. These are the kind of prisons where you don't get cable and you don't get video games and you don't get a commissary chit to go buy whatever you want to do. Um, uh, a chit is something you earn. You know, you go out and work something and they give you a chit to go use and spend and get your, you know, Snickers bar or whatever. No, this is like, if you want to eat something more than bread and water, you better have someone from outside bring it to you because that's all you get here, that kind of prison. So bring my coat. I want my coat. It's cold and damp and wet. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. We don't know this guy. We don't know if he damaged his reputation or whether oftentimes the coppersmith was the torturer. He was the guy that got the information out. We don't know um, which, who he is. But Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. So much harm that this is what Paul says about him. May the Lord repay him according to his works. I don't see that come out of Paul very often. Oh, God, forgive him for this wrong that he's done. Oh, God, I pray that he gets saved. No, I hope God gets, to, gets him back for everything he did. That's what he says. Hope he repays him for his work. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. So he could be just a false teacher that's, you know, whatever. Could be. At my defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. So those folks he gave a pass to. Like Jesus did at the cross, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Very similar. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. And he wants Timothy to remember that. If everybody forsakes you, that's okay. You're not forsaken. You're just forsaken by guys that couldn't hang with you. God won't forsake you, ever. So that the message might be preached fully through me. Look at that. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Not for any other reason, but that his message might continue. It's important for us to remember that. God keeps us going, not so that we can have an easier life, but so that you can continue ministering. Why did God patch me up? How come God didn't let me die there? Oh, he just loves me so much. Yeah, and he wants his message to continue. You're the toughest guy in the block, so get your cast together and get your crutches and get back in there, you know, kind of thing. So that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of a lion, by the way. He just throws that in there. And by the way, he got me out of a lion. Moving on. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. I would have wrote a whole chapter on the lion thing. You know? Oh, and by the way, he got me out of that lion. Greet Priscilla and Aquila in the household of Anisiphorus. Erastus stayed at Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. Just pause there because there's a brother in the Lord that he didn't heal. I left him there sick. In other words, I was with him and Paul was the guy that they would hand his apron around and people would get healed by just touching that. And yet at this point, he couldn't heal this guy, which means it's not automatic. It's not a button. It's not a, a thing of faith. People misunderstand that. You can't just will it to take place. If I had enough faith, you'd be healed of your migraine or you'd be healed of your, uh, you know, your leg would grow back or whatever. And I see that taught. And then they see someone who claims to have all that faith and the leg grows back and things. I just want to warn you, like we learned earlier, those signs and wonders are not proof of experiencing the Lord. Those signs and wonders can be imitated. Watch for the character of the person doing these things. Paul, the greatest apostle, honestly, 
left the guy sick, couldn't heal him. Was it because he didn't have enough faith? I doubt it. He just said he got out of a lion's mouth. I mean, no. It's just that sometimes God lets people stay sick. Do your utmost to come before winter. Why? Because of the coat. I want the coat. Some would say that's a lack of faith. I know we're running short on time. Don't you believe that you're going to get out of prison, Paul? I mean, aren't you praying to get out of prison? Don't you believe that God's going to set you free? Don't you believe? Don't say that. That's a negative. That's a, and I hear that, and I'm sure you do too. Paul says, I'm going to be here through winter. Don't forget to bring me the coat. He's planning on being there. Shouldn't he be planning on being delivered? Shouldn't he be planning on getting out? One of the greatest apostles says, bring my coat before winter comes. In other words, I must still be here. We occupy till he comes. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. He may come back tonight, and I'm looking for that and hoping for that, but I don't live my life that way. I live my life like I don't know when he's coming back, and so I need to take care of my family. I need to work. I need to earn money. I need to buy food. I need to have insurance. I need to do this, that, or the other thing. I go on. I occupy till he comes. And if he comes back sooner, praise the Lord, you know? But we occupy, and Paul shows that and exemplifies that in his walk. Hey, do your utmost to come before winter. I need my coat. Uh, Eubulus, I think that's how it's pronounced, greets you. As well as Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. And that's where we close. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul's heart. Thank you for inspiring Paul to write this. We know that this was written under the inspiration of you. And so it's for us. It's for doctrine. It's for, for reproof, for a correction. We know it's good. So we thank you for that tonight. So God, help us to receive everything you gave us tonight and not to resist any of it so that we can move forward. We can progress with you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good night, guys. If you need prayer before you go, we'd, we'd be glad to pray with you up here.